News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel, senior editor for the Daily Beast and columnist for the Daily News. And co-host here today with me is Fordham political science professor Christina Greer. Today we're going to talk with State Senator Diane Savino on the phone, and in the studio we have Allison Martin, the co-editor and founder of Cannabis Wire. So you can guess what we'll be talking about today. Hey, Joey! I got some stuff you just gotta try. All right, Take it from the top. Apologies for getting into the weeds on that. No pun intended. <laughs> Man. What happened, man? Like, Jesus. Cuomo was all, it's going to happen, and then, wait, what were we talking about? So I'm confused as to what happened in the smoke-filled room. Uh, <laughs> we can only imagine. Who were the forces who were potent, haha, in opposition to legalization? So I think what it came down to in New York is the intersection of NIMBYism, not in my backyard, which there were many NIMBY types in New York, and that's really common. I mean, in California, right after legalization passed, immediately you had a bunch of jurisdictions banning sales. And even before legalization bills pass in some states, you have preemptive banners. Um, So that's really common. California has like, you know, the people can vote for anything. They can be like, we want marijuana. Right. Uh, 51 percent, here's marijuana, right? New York, we don't have that. So we, we have these closed door processes. But so here's why. And, and the budget's supposed to help there, I thought, right? Because you're not voting yes for pot. Right. Um, you're voting for all this stuff. And hey, you know, I brought all this money back home. And I did all these things. And oh, by the way, there's a pot bill. We can opt out. Yeah, I actually think the budget was the killer on legalization, though. It was too much too fast on a, a truly thorny issue, especially in a state like New York, where you were going to have loud voices speaking out about equity and the need for equity. And also at a time when nobody even knows what equity is, right? There's no clear definition. The Minority Cannabis Business Association did come out with a model bill, you know, a model equity legislation. But, you know, there's no very good example for states to point to to just kind of say, like, here's how we're doing it. These lawmakers have to build the plane on the way down when it comes to that. And to try to do it in such a short period of time in a state like New York, with the sort of politics that exists in the budget anyway, where it's being negotiated behind closed doors. I mean, you were sort of asking or the governor was sort of asking and lawmakers were asking for disagreement on this. It's just too complicated in that short of a time period. And I it was not the FAQ podcast, but I went on the Brian Lehrer show and talked about this before the budget deadline. And, you know, they asked me to make a prediction um, of whether or not, you know, legalization was going to pass in the budget. And I basically said, I'm not a betting woman, but, you know, if I had half a million dollars, I would say it's absolutely not going to pass in the budget. Um, Legalization by legislature is incredibly difficult to give yourself a deadline of like basically 30 seconds on this is insane. There was no way it was going to happen. So legalization by legislation is one way. And as sort of a layperson, why can't we do it the way other states have done it, say by ballot initiative or some other way? So, you know, further complicating legalization, there's a patchwork of ballot initiative laws. You know, we don't all pass laws the same way in each state. And some states have stronger or easier ballot initiative processes than a state like New York. New York's legalization is almost certainly going to be passed by the legislature. There are many states where kind of, you know, a ballot initiative can easily sail through. 
New York's not one of those states. Um, these are basically the two processes by which, unless Congress wants to move and surprise all of us, but who knows under the Trump administration if that will happen. But yeah, you know, you're basically going to put it forth to the voters or you're going to put it forth to the lawmakers. And, you know, either the voters are going to decide or the lawmakers are going to decide. And, you know, sort of that democratic process is going to play out, hoping that, you know, hey, here's my representative. Hopefully they vote the way that I want them to vote. What we're seeing in real time is that in places like, as Senator Savino was talking about, places like Long Island, you know, um, counties just north of New York City, they're saying right off the bat, get the hell out of my backyard. We don't want it here. That's where I think a lot of the tension is. It, w- it was really, I think, the intersection of nimbyism and equity. That's why legalization failed in New York and giving them the absolutely crazy deadline of getting it done before April 1st. They need more time. So the two laws that come to mind for me are gay marriage, which New York is the one big state that passes a law before the Supreme Court comes in. Everywhere else, it's the courts that, that are getting there. And that happens with a lot of help from Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who bribes a bunch of the recalcitrant legislators, in effect, to pass this. Um, and then Governor Cuomo signs it. And also congestion pricing. Because when you're talking about building the plan, landing down, we passed a congestion pricing bill this year. And this, this had been a big thing and something Bloomberg actually failed at. The Democratic legislature bottled it up. And we have this now. We're going to have to pay to drive it to Manhattan starting next year. But we don't know who's going to be paying what or what any of this means. They actually sort of passed a very broad framework. We're going to do a thing and it's going to make about this much money, uh, all the details to come. Could something like that have happened with, with marijuana? Well, I actually think that legalization is just a lot more complicated than that, though, right? You have everything from how do we prevent cannabis from crossing state lines, right? Like when lawmakers talk about the first mover advantage in an area, what they're talking about is people crossing state lines to go to Massachusetts, to Northampton. Or to Jersey, get the, when or it looked Jersey. like they were going to pass it. I right. Think that with the flame here. Right, exactly. And if I, if I recall, actually, part of what moved the conversation forward on congestion pricing was actually how to fund the MTA, right? And one of the talking points around how to fund the MTA was like toking for trains or whatever. Like, could we have legalization to help fund? (laughs) Sorry, it's terrible. But could we have legalization to help fund um, the MTA? You know, I don't think these pot for potholes conversation points are are terribly salient these days. I just don't think that we necessarily know what the tax dollars are actually going to be. There are a lot of estimates, but the market right now is not nearly as new as it was five years ago. And what does equity look like in just the broadest, most Basic terms. Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, equity means something different to many lawmakers. It can be anything from um, job training, education, community reinvestment, sort of taking tax dollars and putting them back into the communities where they were disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs. You know, white people and black and brown people use cannabis at comparable rates. We now know from data that black and brown people are about four times more likely to be arrested and charged with a cannabis crime. So this is why things like um, decriminalization are talked about, but it doesn't really remove all of the issues that are tied to legalization and the criminalization of cannabis because we're still not getting some of that community reinvestment and job training and those sorts of things. One of the conversations that's part of equity as well is the expungement of records. And this was the exact sticking point in New Jersey, which I think 
you know, cause the the bill to fail. Um, people or said that, that was like the model of a progressive legalization bill. Or, or that's what I was reading. It was the it went the furthest, I think, on equity and expungement. And it was very progressive, I think, in part because of how sort of full throated Phil Murphy was about it, the governor and conversations that Cory Booker pushed as well. Um, in some of the federal legislation, the Marijuana Justice Act, you know, saying that the Safe Banking Act or States Act doesn't go far enough because it doesn't include um, equity provisions. Expungement's tough, though, and I think New Jersey's a pretty big example of, of where some of the problems can arise because the way that the laws work there, in order for expungement to actually mechanically work, people who have you know been charged with a cannabis crime between, I think it's something like a half an ounce up to five pounds would have their record cleared. And I think some lawmakers felt pretty uncomfortable with that because, you know, if somebody's moving five pounds of cannabis, the chances that they're sort of a smaller or, or what somebody would say like a, quote, petty criminal um, – are lesser. I think some lawmakers thought that these criminals might be a bit more hardened and might be moving other types of drugs in, in larger quantities. So, I mean, it was just a, it was just another point that I guess equity and expungement, which will be, I think, some of the biggest conversations around legalization going forward, are just so complicated. And for lawmakers to hash it out, again, no pun intended, you know, I think a lot of people get impatient, but these conversations are not going to happen overnight and these decisions are not going to happen overnight. Did any of the West Coast states get this right? Like, are there models we should be looking at? No, um, no West Coast. So we have 10 states in D.C. that have legalized at this point. Um, I think the state that has gotten it most right so far is Massachusetts, actually. Um, And it was because, um, you know, the commissioners, the regulators in Massachusetts from the very beginning decided to um, bake in Again, no pun intended. Into the <laughs> rules right and regulations, <laughs> equity. Um, it's like a drinking game. <laughs> shot. Yeah. Um, no. It, you know. So. So they, I think, have gone the furthest, and I think that um, they, you know, not to speak for them, the regulators there, but I think they themselves would say there's more that could have been done. And I think the one thing that we can say confidently, looking in the rearview mirror, is that if equity provisions are not again, baked into the actual law and rules, it doesn't happen. Because the laws generally, as they're getting molded, the conversations very quickly turn to, what are the tax dollars? Where are they going? What can I have? And, you know, sort of everyone's hands open up and they want to, like, put their hands in those pockets. If it's not there from day one, it doesn't happen. I just want to roll one more question in there. But um, Thank you. Um, Because I think a lot of people who don't know much about Albany were very optimistic when they saw a Democratic Senate come in or roll in um, and a Democratic legislature. And so what is the holdup? Is it upstate, downstate? Is it personal interests? Are the legislators just much more conservative than we thought? I mean, it appears that New York is not as progressive as many downstate New Yorkers would assume. So I grew up near Albany, and I guess there's a part of me that was never surprised by what a shit show it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a part of me that's never surprised by what a shit show the lawmaking process in Albany is, um, with all respect to lawmakers, of course, but it is a shit show. Um, you know, there are a lot of states right now that are considering legalization, mm-hmm. some that have this sort of like Democratic supermajority, right? Illinois, New Jersey, like there are states that are, you know, talking about this in a very serious way. Um, it's 
definitely no longer whether to legalize, but how to legalize. Mm -hmm. And those conversations just can't happen in a short period of time. In New York especially, what I was surprised by was actually how effective lawmakers were at putting their foot down on equity and putting their foot down on what they were willing to let pass through and what they weren't. Because Cuomo's plan really wasn't that different in a lot of ways from Senator Kruger's plan, but they were different in very key ways, right? So like Cuomo's plan technically would have made big cannabis even bigger. Because you have these sort of existing 10 license holders like MedMen, Columbia Care, these companies that are starting to sort of sprawl out and franchise across the country. Those companies would have been able to be grandfathered in with vertical integration, basically making the existing cannabis companies perhaps richer and giving them a first mover advantage and giving them an advantage over other companies that can't control the supply chain and reduce costs across the supply chain. That was one key area. Another key area was around specifically what the community reinvestment looked like. Um, I think if Governor Cuomo had been more specific on equity provisions and had perhaps removed that grandfather clause, I suspect that it would be a different conversation now. But it's been a remarkable shift from 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 gateway drug to reluctantly supporting medical with a very high barrier to entry, both for companies and, and for patients to uh, to I, I like decriminalization and legalization from the governor. It has been a remarkable shift. I, I also wonder where we would be if Cynthia Nixon won the primary because she just came out full force supporting legalization. And I think, and I think a lot of other people agree, that she pushed Cuomo, who at best is very moderate on cannabis and similar issues. Um, I think she pushed him to the left. And I wonder if Cynthia Nixon was elected if you know, we would have started the conversation if the foundation would have been further left and more progressive. And we would have started with stronger equity provisions. And we would have, you know, started with, you know, maybe removing that grandfathering clause because it just would have started from a more progressive place. It's stimulating, mind expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation. And as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. What? We are keeping Allison hostage for <laughs> a few more questions. Hostage so, tape, real two. Right. Um, so I'm thinking about Joe Biden's comments from 2010. He hasn't clarified them thus far in 2019 since he's announced. But in 2010, similar to Cuomo, <laughs> no, no surprise that those two were um, supporting one another, uh, Biden said that he fundamentally believes that marijuana is a gateway drug. And so what do you say to legislators who are still on this antiquated notion of if you smoke marijuana, then all of a sudden you are susceptible to go down a rabbit hole of a life of drug use? Yeah, I don't think it's a mistake that um, people like Joe Biden haven't clarified those stances. Um, it, it's very simple for anybody with a smartphone and a Twitter account to just put their pin in where they actually feel about cannabis. And many, many lawmakers and presidential candidates have. I think almost every Democratic presidential candidate at this point has said very clearly where they stand on legalization, actually. You know, somebody like Biden, I think, would, would take a probably more conservative approach, obviously, than if somebody like, you know, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders were elected. But right now, I think the 2020 
presidential election uh, is playing into some of the cannabis conversations because, you know, we talked a little bit about how people spend political capital. And I think a lot of lawmakers are focused on opioids. And I think sort of more broadly, cannabis kind of gets lumped into a not today issue. Like mm-hmm. we can survive if a session ends and we don't tackle legalization or, you know, congressionally, like nationally, if, you know, the Marijuana Justice Act, which doesn't have a chance right now. It's a Safe Banking Act or the States Act. But, you know, we can survive if this gets bumped to, you know, the next conversation, if it gets kicked, if the candidates kicked down the road for a few more months. I'm guessing not everyone thinks it's an issue that can wait. You know, will, will the last one to uh, get arrested, incarcerated, whatever else, please turn off the lights? Yeah, I mean, so these issues are ones that we have covered a lot at Cannabis Wire because people who consume cannabis and get caught they could stand to lose their housing if they live in federally subsidized housing or, you know, Section 8 housing. They could lose college scholarships. They could lose custody of their children. These sorts of things are happening across the country, even today, even in states where cannabis has even been decriminalized or even where medical cannabis laws exist. The people who are doing the arresting um, can use their own, I think, discretion. And that's part of the reason why um, some lawmakers are pushing as hard as they are on expungement, because, yeah, there are a lot of people who can't wait because they, they stand to lose a lot. Cannabis has just been used, I think, for years as a tool by some to to arrest people. New York City is a great example, um, if you want to consider it great. But, you know, stop and frisk, right? At the height of stop and frisk in New York City, I think there were something like 50,000 people who were arrested for cannabis possession. You know, we all know how that played out. Um, Police would ask for an ID, ask somebody to empty their pockets, and lo and behold, they would have a small amount of cannabis in their pockets. So that's sort of an example, I guess, of how the tool has been used. But yeah, there are many, many people who can't wait and many people who stand to lose the most in many ways. The public advocate yesterday was speaking at an event and he was talking about marijuana justice. And he may be one of the first sort of citywide electeds who he said, one, I sold a little weed as a teen. Two, I wasn't caught. Three, because of number two, I can hold citywide office. Otherwise, I could have been unemployable or had a record. He says, so I'm using my office to fight for all who weren't as lucky. Do we think that more legislators should talk about maybe personal experiences, or do you think that that detracts from some of the larger issues? I certainly don't think that those talking points detract from the conversation. I think, if anything, it adds to it. I think it gives voters... Human um, element. It gives voters a human element, but it also gives them something to either agree or disagree with on legalization. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It gives them something to talk about at the very least. I was impressed with the honesty um, mm-hmm. in those tweets and, and, and in the um, the sort of like statements from the public advocate because um, – and I think that was the first time that he had publicly disclosed that mm-hmm. too. It was. So, you know, you also think about the timing of this. Like why is he talking about it now? And I suspect that it's also to kind of maybe in- perhaps encourage other lawmakers or elected officials to do the same thing at a time when, again, that window is closing in New York State. We've got like a June deadline in the session to- for a standalone bill. I suspect that they're part of that – that decision to be public about um, the fact that he had, um, you know, sold, I think he said, quote, sold a little weed when he was a teenager. Um, I suspect that that has to do with, um, you know, the broader legalization conversations happening in New York. But I think they absolutely add. And I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that one way or the other, people should, elected officials should talk about their experiences with cannabis. And I think that there's been a, a quote unquote cannabis closet that existed and still exists where people are afraid to talk about their experiences because of, very much an existing stigma. I think that, you know, you 
if you went and asked the deans of any university or, um, you know, the, the heads of, you know, various institutes or, you know, pick the dignitary you want to pick, um, you know, Bill Clinton saying he didn't inhale, you, you probably couldn't point at somebody who hasn't had some experience having to do with cannabis. Who talks about it? Very few people. So, yeah, I, I think it absolutely adds to the conversation. I think it's very fascinating that we are somewhat taken aback by governance by honesty. <laughs> I mean, how honest, yeah, how honest are elected officials and how honest, I mean, even with Twitter accounts, right? Like, it, they're, they're all pre-programmed. So when we get that level of honesty, I think it's a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when we were talking about the young children with Dravet syndrome or, or intractable epilepsy and the need for CBD, I think the reason those conversations moved lawmakers was the honesty. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that kind of approach where it's like, here's my kid, my kid is sick, nothing else is working. This will help. What are you going to do about it? That's a kind of honesty that works on this issue. I think where we're not seeing it on the legalization front is, you know, um, Senator Savino mentioned, constituents, I don't think, feel as compelled to say, I want to smoke weed on Friday night Mm -hmm. or I want an edible on Saturday when I hit the slopes um, or whatever. You know, (laughs) that's very specific. Yeah. And and also a really bad idea. Um, We're not (laughs) condoning getting high. Don't do that. Don't go to Stowe. Um, But, you know, like, I don't think people are like storming various city halls or state houses saying I really need or want adult use or recreational cannabis for these reasons. Mm -hmm. I think there are plenty of people, as we just, you know, we're talking about people who actually can't wait who could have access to college scholarships, access to federally subsidized housing. They could not worry about losing custody of their kids, all these intersections of state and federal law. Um, I just don't think people are doing it. And I think, you know, when elected officials are honest, it gives voters, you know, a reason to talk, something to talk about on the issue at a time when they're not as much. What I thought was so powerful, though, about that disclosure by the public advocate, who has been a friend of the show, so shout out to public advocate Jemani Williams. Um, He also represented what you talked about just a little bit earlier, the other side of this conversation, which is not just someone who consumes, but someone who actually has been a seller of marijuana, I mean, because there are multiple people who were involved in this enterprise. And so reducing that stigma also for some people? Yeah, I think that's super important. I think that with cannabis, it's sort of like a tale of two consumers, because I think that the white experience of cannabis consumers can be very different from the black or brown experience of cannabis consumers. And those conversations are not happening in the public. Mm. And those experiences are not being told um, uh, with similar weight, I guess. And yeah, I think it was an incredible... you know, from my perspective as a journalist, I thought it was brave. You don't see very many people doing that. Um, I do think there are a lot of conversations that are being left out and a lot of perspectives perspectives that are being left out as um, legalization conversations um, emerge and mature. Um, I think that, you know, New York and New Jersey lawmakers and voters are doing a slightly better job in the conversations that have happened in other states. But um, I just I think that there's a whole as you mentioned, there's a, there's a whole other side to this that ends up on the wayside. So it looks like we need time, as you've said before. Allison, take seven. Thank you for coming. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Do we let her go or do we keep her? What were we talking about again? F-A-Q. For much more, go to CannabisWire.com and be sure to sign up for their newsletter. Hi, Senator Savino. Uh, Harry Siegel here. Hi. Thank you for joining us. The governor this year, who'd been very reluctant to do anything with marijuana, 
said we should legalize the adult use of recreational marijuana once and for all. And then the budget came and went and nothing happened. And it seems like you've said it gets harder from here. Um, What happened? How did we end up here? And where are we going now? Well, I think it it bears repeating. I've said this about a thousand times now. No state has passed a marijuana law to legalize adult use to create a regulated industry by a legislative process. No state. Everyone has done this by uh, initiative and referendum. New York is not an INR state. Uh, We are a true representative democracy in that respect. And in fact, we were one of the first, I think we may have been the first, that did a medical marijuana law through the legislative process. So the people are always way ahead of their legislators, and especially on this issue. And if you recall back when I took on the issue of medical marijuana, I introduced the bill in 2013. I got the bill done in 2014, which was remarkable (laughs) considering I had tremendous opposition from the governor at the time. He really did not believe in medical marijuana. Um, And I guess in some respects he's a product of his generation. You know, we spent more than 100 years convincing people that marijuana was evil. Uh, And so it's hard to move people from... Uh, being socialized to think a particular way to suddenly being open and accepting. So he was not that dissimilar from a significant number of the population. But in an effort to negotiate our way to a final solution, uh, he insisted on a very narrow program. Fast forward five years later, he loves pot. It's all about pot now, right? (laughs) Which is rather amusing in some ways. But um, the question is, why didn't he put his political capital behind it in the budget? Uh, there's a lot of theories out there about why he did or didn't do it. Did he want to see it happen? Did he want to then, you know, have someone to blame for it? I'm not really sure. You know, I get speculating on this stuff a long time ago. Uh, the truth is there's an awful lot of opposition to it uh, from a whole bunch of different perspectives that it was simple enough to just let it go and not fight the fight. But I think it's a fight that needs to be had, uh, and we're going to continue working on it. And what are your expectations then for this year and then uh, the coming election year, if not this year? Well, the challenge was if you couldn't get it done in the budget, wrapping it into things that people cared about. You know, So we have, if you look at regionally, there were issues. So if you look at the polling statewide, overwhelmingly people support creating a legal adult use market that's regulated. But it doesn't, it's not across the board. So you'll see more support in urban centers. Oddly, uh, tremendous support in Western New York. Uh, and when I started working on, med- on medical marijuana, that was where the first uh, co-sponsors of my legislation came from. Uh, if you go to the suburbs, uh, you look at particularly Long Island and Westchester and Orange and Rockland, that's where the numbers really start to dip. So we have a problem in those areas. And so for the suburban members, especially the Long Island Six, uh, it was a real problem for them if it wasn't done in the budget. And you had uh, – their, their concern was compounded by the fact that you had their county executives, both Laura Curran and Steve Ballone, making you know declaratory statements that if we did an adult use market, that they were going to ban the sale of marijuana in their county. So they would seek legislative authority to do just that. And then that was coupled with Orange and Rockland, and Westchester was teetering on the edge, and Onondaga County was looking at it. And so one after the other, you had local governments saying, 
we don't want it in our backyard. And that just created more anxiety from members who were teetering on the, on, on the fence over this issue. Uh, and then you had other members who were opposed to the bill in its current draft because they felt it didn't address the concerns about the lack of diversity in this industry. And so they were withholding their support. And so the more more members you had withholding their support, the less likely you were going to get this across the finish line. And if you couldn't get it in the budget where if if you were concerned about supporting something like this, you could at least go home and say, well, you know, I really didn't like it, but it was wrapped up in education spending, which I really was happy to deliver so much for my district. Or it was attached to, you know, health care and restorations of health care. And so you could go home and claim, I didn't want to do it, but I had no choice, right? Well, if you take it out as a standalone bill, now it really has no shot. And that's where we find ourselves now. But if those same legislators wouldn't vote for it today as a standalone bill, the likelihood that they'd vote for it in an election year becomes even slimmer. So I think the long-term prospects are you're looking at two or three years before we get to a legal adult use market, unless something changes that I can't see. Senator Savino, this is Allison Martin. I'm the co-founder of uh, Cannabis Wire and an adjunct at Columbia Journalism School. I think we've gone back and forth on legalization quite a bit by email. Um, so I had a quick question for you. You mentioned that uh, Governor Cuomo didn't put his political capital behind legalization. I'm curious what you meant by that. And, you know, who, in your opinion, did put their capital behind legalization? Well, I, I, I've worked with this man a long time now, so I know when he really wants to do something, he knows how to get down in the trenches and negotiate to a final solution. So I didn't see that happening here, and I'm not sure why. And, and I don't want to. I don't want to speculate as to whether he didn't really believe in it or whether he didn't think he was going to be able to pull it off. Because he doesn't like to lose. There's one thing about you know Andrew Cuomo. He he likes to get things done. That's one of the. Um, that's one of his, uh, I would say, bragging points. You know, he's, I always say he's no day at the beach, but he gets stuff done. Well, he doesn't like to lose. So I wasn't. So I, I would suggest that it's possible he knew this wasn't going to happen because of all the opposition that was coming from different, um, different points of view. That he wasn't going to win on it. And he wasn't going to take it on the chin if it didn't happen. And so let the legislature take the blame. And that's kind of the way it shook out. So will he take another stab at it? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's too soon to tell. I'm really curious if he's going to take another stab at it, because obviously Governor Cuomo and you know Governor Murphy both don't like to lose, especially publicly. Um, mm-hmm. And you you mentioned how difficult legalization by legislature is, and you mentioned you know no state has done so in setting up a a market really. You know Vermont's done right. it, but their market hasn't gotten off the ground. You know I'm curious how difficult you think legalization by legislature is going to be in New York compared to other states, because the reality is we only have so many states with ballot initiative processes left. So right. what what we're left with from a legalization process is really this kind of grinding public negotiation between lawmakers. And, you know, the sticking point, as you know, probably better than anybody is are things like equity and, you know, community reinvestment and, you know, where the tax dollars are going and home grow and that sort of thing. So, you know, how right. how tough do you think it's going to be in New York compared to other states with, you know, having this sort of public negotiation process? I think I think it'll probably be as tough as anywhere else. And I want you to think about this. Now, right now, there are 33 states plus the District of Columbia that have medical marijuana programs that are operational. There's one or two that are coming online soon. 
there are 10 states that have legal adult use programs that are operational. You have almost 350 members of Congress that represent states that have marijuana programs that are up and running in their districts. If you speak to members of Congress, and I've done this, I've, got, I've traveled to Washington more than once to speak to the members of Congress about this, they will tell you that they could not take a vote in Washington to either decriminalize, to reschedule marijuana, or to legalize marijuana. And they'll tell you that with a straight face. Just, I couldn't go home and, and explain that vote. And it is the most unbelievable level of cognitive disconnect that I have ever encountered in this business. That's, they have legal marijuana in their own states, and they will tell you that they can't vote for it. That's a fascinating phenomenon that I've experienced, too, where it's like, you know, people will tell you background or off the record, maybe I'll support it. But when they have time to go on the record, they refuse. It's mind-blowing. What do you it's think that absolutely is? absolutely mind-blowing. I, again, I think when I got involved in the, on, in the medical marijuana, uh, you know, legislation, one of the things I said we were doing is we were, one, uh, creating a public health policy. Two, we were uh, amending the penal code. And three, we were beginning to re-socialize the way people think about marijuana. And so this is a long, drawn-out process of getting people to think about marijuana differently. And even so much as I, I struggle with this, calling it cannabis as opposed to marijuana, you know, and the whole historic, you know, racist connotation of the word marijuana. It's hard, and we're trying to, like, turn it like a giant ship around state by state. Uh, and it's so frustrating whenever I talk to my colleagues in Washington about the things that they can do simply by descheduling marijuana or passing the Banking Act. Um, all of the things that you mentioned about the equity and the diversity in the industry could be solved in so many ways if Washington would make a couple of changes that would make it so much easier for this industry to operate. It is so incredibly difficult, so very expensive, so complicated, uh, and, and that's one of the biggest barriers to entry for people who want to get in. But it, it is just mind-blowing to me. When they look at you and they say, I could never support legalized marijuana, and they represent states that have legal marijuana programs. Hi, Senator Savino. It's Chrissy Greer from your local Hi, 371 Chrissy. days. How are you? How are you? I can't complain. Um, I, I just have to take a, a point of personal privilege. Every time I see you on TV, I am absolutely thrilled and so proud of you. It's amazing. <laughs> Full disclosure to our listeners, uh, I worked for Senator Savino when she was political director for Local 371. Yes. Um, and that was back in 2001, before I even yeah. started graduate school. So I You're a brilliant student then. Oh, why, thank you, thank you. Uh, the Mutual Admiration Society will convene next week. Um, so I had a quick question, because oftentimes the conversations about medical marijuana, cannabis, oftentimes circle around legalization and not necessarily decriminalization. And so, you know, and you've mentioned before some of like the historical racist practices and how difficult it is to, you know, sort of get certain legislators to buy in because they are concerned about the decriminalization aspects and what is and is not in some of the legislation. So where are we moving on the, the decrim conversation? You know, it doesn't appear to be moving separate and apart from a broader discussion. There was, and I think that broke down also in the comparison between the governor's proposal and there's another bill that has been introduced by Senator Kruger and Assemblywoman Crystal People Stokes. Uh, you have to have, you have to do both. And you think back when we repealed prohibition almost 100 years ago, there was no discussion about um, expunging people's records. If you had been arrested and convicted for violations of the Prohibition Act, those 
arrests and convictions remained on your record if you were in jail at the time you stayed in jail. So we're we're looking at doing something different with this one. It's almost like we're repealing the prohibition on marijuana, but we're also going to resentence or expunge records. There was a big debate about, uh, and we still don't have clarity on this, does expungement of records require a constitutional amendment? Uh, there was some question that was raised by the Attorney General's office that we don't have the authority through the legislative process to do that. We can do record sealing, but we can't do expungement. Expungement requires the constitutional amendment. I still don't know the, the absolute answer to that question. And since the legislation didn't advance, it's still a, a question that's out there. Record sealing is something that has been um, done in other states. The problem with record sealing is that sealed records can be unsealed by a court order. And so there's really no clarity on, on that. But we we can move forward on decriminalizing marijuana, and in many respects we have. You know, you see local district attorneys are not taking cases. They're not prosecuting um, low-level marijuana. They're not even arresting people for low-level marijuana possession. Um, but simply just decriminalizing marijuana without creating a legal regulated market doesn't solve the problem either because you're still buying it from criminals. And while... There are a lot of people I talk to who say, well, you know, I have a guy comes to my house, you know, he makes money off of this. And behind that guy is a criminal cartel, whether we want to accept that or not. And if we really want to create equity, uh, we have to help develop a legal regulated market with various entry points that everyone can get into so we don't have the specter of what people now call big marijuana, which I find almost amusing, but that uh, they don't control the entire industry, that you have entry points at various levels, and that you know people are able to participate in, and freely in their own communities. And I don't think we're there yet, but decriminalization, record sealing or expungement have to be part of it, um, reinvestment back into communities. And, and I think the final piece is a lot of members became almost... Um, so happy to try and figure out how we're going to spend all the money. There's not that much money in this industry in the beginning. And as each state begins to roll it out, the money becomes less and less. So we have to be careful that we don't overestimate how much money we would make in legal marijuana and that we don't don't over Cough, cough, cough. Casinos. Pot for potholes. Casinos. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, did you know, technically, we have a constitution in New York State that bans gambling, too. Mm -hmm. So, so, I mean, look, I'm just a a guy in New York. Yeah, we did a constitutional amendment on that, Harry. That's how we wound up with uh, the the additional seven casinos. That constitutional amendment was very specific to the number of casinos and the siting of them, and they had to be tied to the the horse racing industry, so that's why they call them, you know, they're, they're racinos and then the one or two other casinos. And that, they haven't all been cited yet. And you're right. They have not produced the revenue that, um, that they that we anticipated that they would. Sucker's Progress by the guy who wrote Gangs in New York, which is just a, a history of the, the fallacy of uh, criminalizing and legalizing gambling, is wonderful there. But I, I have just one more question, and I think Allison may have a couple more. I was born in 1977. As best I understand it, New York State, which which has a constitution and has laws, and you're a lawmaker, decriminalized uh, personal possession, at least, in 1977. I know there was actually a, a medical marijuana program 
1980, and, and just as you're going through a little of what happened this year, and I've been asking people about this, and it's all, you know, this, this black box process where, where things are getting negotiated, very big things behind closed doors as part of, you know, a nearly $200 billion budget, and then it just either happens or doesn't. Like, it, 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 why, why is this such a, uh, a long haul and a, a heavy lift for, for policies and, and laws that, that we've already passed? Um, I, I don't want to make a short-term memory joke, but, you know, Cuomo committed to this. There was the sense that, that we were finally going to get somewhere more, more rational. And now, you know, you're saying maybe 2021, you know, I, I'll, be, I'll be in my mid-40s. You know, ask, asking well, the same questions. It, it's honestly, it, it, it's baffling to me. Like, is, it, is, is this a functional democratic process? What are you guys doing? It's, so, again, we, we love to say that New York is a progressive state. And on some issues we are. You know, we say sometimes New York leads and sometimes it follows. Uh, we hmm. have never been a progressive state when it comes to drug policy. We're just not. You know, you were born in 1977. I was born... You know, 13 years before you, uh, Chrissy was born 12, 13 years later than that. I mean, <laughs> think about the, the entire time that I, that both of us have been alive. We, New York State, operated under what were the most draconian drug laws in the nation, the Rockefeller drug laws. They were only repealed 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, overarching this discussion about legalizing and creating a regulated you know, cannabis market in New York. We have also been in the midst of dealing with the worst drug crisis since the crack epidemic of the early, late 80s, early 90s. And even though as a society, we're finally beginning to recognize that addiction is a disease and not a character defect, uh, there are still a lot of people whose knee-jerk reaction to addiction is that it creates crime, it brings crime, addicts are criminals, there's something wrong with them. I mean, we've all seen it. Try and open a drug rehab program in your neighborhood. We have, we have people all over the state who are screaming that we must do more as a government to address the heroin crisis and the opioid abuse crisis. But just don't do it next door to my house. You know, we don't have that problem in our neighborhood. Of course we do. Everybody does. Every family's been touched by addiction. I don't care who you are in one way, shape, or form. So we're, we're struggling with that. And, you know, elected officials are no different than anyone else. Uh, they know what they know. They don't always know everything. And sometimes they're as reactive as their constituents. And so when you hear elected officials say things like marijuana is a gateway drug, I want to smack them in the head <laughs> because Paging it's not Joe based Biden. on any science. It's that knee-jerk reaction of having been told this a million times. So – I don't want to be the one that says that um, legalization has stalled in New Jersey or New York, but, you know, that's what it could look like. And, you know, one of the strategies, it appears, in New Jersey is to talk about expanding the medical cannabis program. Obviously, for nearly a decade, the medical cannabis program there was stalled, thanks to Chris Christie. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, last we spoke, you mentioned you were going to champion expanding the medical cannabis bill in New York. And I was curious um, what the conversation there is like, where that stands, and um, sort of like what your strategy is and what the goal is there. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because, in fact, I'm working on a bill right now to do just that. So you're right. In New Jersey, uh, what's his name? Corzine signed the bill on his way out the door, and Chris Christie tried to kill the program on the way in the door. It's one of the things that I did when I first got involved in this. I said, if I'm going to write a bill, uh, I'm going to go look at states that already have a program in place 
and try and figure out what makes the most sense and what doesn't. And when I went to New Jersey, the one thing I found out was if you put too much power in the hands of the Department of Health, you don't have a program because the Department of Health reports to the governor. If the governor hates the program, it doesn't work. So we were very careful to try and put more into the statute and less into the regulations. Uh, and I think we, we struck the right balance. But you can always make improvements on it. The governor, our governor, as I told you earlier, was not really a big supporter of medical marijuana. He did not believe in it at the time. Uh, he fought me every step of the way. And as a condition of signing of the bill, once he realized that I had the votes and I was going to bring it to the Senate floor, uh, he forced uh, you know, some compromise on it, narrowing the program down to, first, no more than five registered organizations to begin with no more than four dispensaries. And in a state with 19 million people, it was so ridiculous. But, you know, you, sometimes you have to compromise to get, you know, the the legislation done. He also insisted that as a condition of signing the bill that we had to agree that there would be a no smoking provision. And it was either that or, you know, he would veto the bill. So we, we reluctantly agreed to that. But knowing right off the bat that because the program was going to be small, he was restricting uh, the, the number of applicants. He was going to restrict the locations. It was going to drive up the cost. It was going to be more complicated, more expensive, and they also insisted on a vertically integrated model, which means you have to do everything from seed to sale. So again, it's very expensive. So it's all the things that we were afraid of uh, came true. That patients wait too long, they, it's very expensive, they have to travel too far, and we're, you know, not enough patients were qualifying because they didn't have the conditions that the, that the statute said that they had to qualify for. So we spent the next five years chipping away at the governor's opposition and adding in conditions that he originally didn't support. And luckily, he accepted all of those things. But here we are. We still have, we're up to about 100,000 patients. Uh, we could probably handle five times that number, but we don't have capacity. So we need to double the number of dispensaries minimally. We need to add more registered organizations. We need to eliminate conditions as a requirement and leave that up to doctors and patients. Uh, we, um, we need to lift the restriction on smoking, uh, even though from a health delivery perspective, people don't like this. People think smoking is not the best way, but you know, there's other things that you can do with flower product beyond just smoking it. So there's a lot we can do. And there doesn't appear to be any objection to the expansion of the medical program, which just shows to show you the schizophrenic approach to marijuana. I don't want legal marijuana in my neighborhood, but I like that medical stuff. And so we're going to move forward on it. Where does home grow stand in this conversation? You know, can New York patients expect to be growing their own cannabis sometime soon? I doubt that. Um, there, was a, there was almost a possibility of limited home growth for patients in the governor's proposal in the budget, but I'm not sure that will survive the expanded bill. The truth is, if you're going to have a legal regulated market, it's hard to manage a home grow. Uh, and, and I don't know how you really do that. And every state that has it has said to us, don't do it. I and mean, remember, they had to do it because it was in their initiative and referendum. Whatever's in their referendum, they have to put into statute. Senator, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Uh, is there is there any uh, ray of sunshine or optimism that you can leave us on in terms of where things are at in New York? Well, what I think is missing from this debate, honestly, is we're not hearing from the people. 
So I'll, I'll just leave you with this. Every every third Tuesday of the month, there's a group that meets at called Canna Gather. And I went to it last week, and uh, I go to it from time to time. And at this event, there'll be three or 400 people in the room. They're interested in the industry. There's people from Women Who Grow, which is a, you know, a national organization trying to get women involved in the cannabis industry. There'll be potential investors, people who are you know, criminal justice reformers. It's, it's, it's a whole cross-section of New Yorkers. And they will attend this event every month. And they talk to each other. And that's great. They're not talking to the policymakers, though, people like me, to let them know that we're supportive. So what I'm suggesting is that if you're a constituent, and everybody in New York State is a constituent of somebody, you need to let your elected officials know that you support this, that this is important, that you want to see this change. And I think that's what's been missing from this discussion. We're not hearing from our constituents. When we did medical, we had patients' organizations and the Drug Policy Alliance and a lot of people. But the one thing that really captured people's attention was there was a a group of mothers who came up every week with their children. They suffered from Dravet syndrome and refractory epilepsy. And these kids would would come up here uh, and you could not not want to help them. And they were the reason that some members who said, I don't know if I believe in this. I'm not sure if this really works, but if it's going to help that kid, I'm willing to vote for it. That's what legislators respond to. People. We need to hear from people. We need to hear from the people who live in our district that whether it's the criminal justice reform aspect of it, whether it's the economic opportunity aspect, whether it's just it's, it's a stupid policy we need to change, that's what moves legislators. Thank you so much. I I certainly hope more legislators are moved, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. F-A-Q. F-A-Q NYC is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company aiming to reshape the business of news, and by listeners like you. We recorded this week at NYU's McSilver Institute. And FAQ is brought to you by our executive producer, Alex Brooklyn, Harry Siegel, and myself, Christina Greer. McSilver Institute is where we're headquartered. That's the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU. Thanks to Senator Diane Savino and Allison Martin, co-founder of Cannabis Wire. And a special thank you also to Adam Kamara, our associate producer, who mixed and mastered this episode. Remember, if you have to ask, tune into The FAQ for some answers. Review us on iTunes and reach us on social media to discuss it all. Ciao. Short-term memory loss or how we went from all but inevitable. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, I'll email you. This, Whoa, this is what, that just turned purple on my phone because of something you did. Yeah, I highlighted it. <laughs> That's how it works with Google Docs. <laughs>